0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: Once my salvation becomes mundane, and you you might have had an experience way back when, but now it's just a routine. You do the thing, you go to church, even maybe have a devotion. You read a few verses in your Bible every day, but it no longer does what it used to do. What's happened? There's a drifting that's taken place. And how do we get back?
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 in a message titled, So Great a Salvation. Now here's Pastor Brian.
1: We're not just the children of God, but we are maybe better to understand it, we are the privileged children of God. We are the special children of God. So that's our calling. It starts there. It starts with having entered in now to this relationship with God. We have this beautiful relationship with him, this this parent-child relationship with him, and parent-child in the best possible sense. But we're also called saints. And the word saint... You could look at saint, you could even translate it maybe as a holy one. But but it's the idea is to be separated. So God has called us saints, meaning that He separated us from, from sin, death, destruction, the world, all of those things. He separated us from that. But as wonderful it is to be as it is to be separated from these things, what we're separated to is even more wonderful because he separated us to himself. And we have become to God a precious treasure. That's what the saints are. They're, uh, the saints are God's precious treasure. David said in the Psalms that his, his delight was in the saints of the earth. And that's the heart of God toward his people. They're saints. They're, we are of great value to him. We are this precious treasure to him. We're his sons and daughters. We're saints, but we've also been called to be his servants. We are the servants of God. And that is a position of great honor to be a servant. Jesus was known as the servant of the Lord. Isaiah 42, behold my servant. And of course we know, in there it says, behold my servant in whom my soul delights. And God calls us to be his servants and he gives us the amazing privilege of serving him, of working alongside of him, of entering into this wonderful thing that he's doing of recreating the universe starting with individual human beings uh, transforming them and he uses us in that process to to work alongside with him we become his servants and then there's one more thing that we become we become his friends we become his friends you know there's one person in the Bible who stands out, who was known as the friend of God, you remember who that was? It was Abraham. Abraham, the friend of God. Guess what? You're in that same category. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, no longer do I call you merely servants, but I call you friends. You're my friends. Because a servant doesn't really know what his master is doing, but I've told you everything. And so Jesus has invited all of us to a friendship with him, into a friendship. You know, you can be a child of somebody but not have a friendship with them. There there are obviously relationships where people are estranged from one another. Yes, that's my child. Or yes, that's my parent. We're biologically connected, but we have no relationship beyond that. Well, we've got the full package. We've got the relationship that's there because we've been born of the spirit of God, but we've also got that place of of friendship with him. Think about that. The friend of God. And as you think about Abraham's life, as maybe you go back and look in Genesis there, what do you see in this friendship between God and Abraham? You see fellowship. God appeared to Abraham. He spoke to Abraham. He promised to bless him. He provided for him. He gave him direction. He took care of him. All of those kinds of things. Those are all of the things that are implied in friendship. And we have that friendship. Our salvation is great because our calling is great. But then there's also our destiny. The difference between calling and destiny is calling has to do with the present Destiny has to do with the future. So in the present, we are the children of God. We are his saints. We are his servants. We are his friends. But in the future, there's more to come. What do we have awaiting us in the future? What is our destiny? Our destiny is that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So as we saw there in the beginning, our Savior is great, He's great because he's the heir of all things. Guess what? We are heirs of God, just like Jesus is. We are actually joint heirs with Christ. So Christ owns everything. All that there is belongs to him. He has ultimate authority over everything. And you know what? He's invited us in to share that with him. That's what it means to be a joint heir with Christ. We share in all of his wealth. We share in all of his riches. Like Jesus prayed in John 17, oh, Father, I pray that those that you have given me, that they would be with me, that they would see my glory that I had with you before the world was. Jesus is anxious for the time that we are there with him, sharing together in all of this great wealth that belongs to him. He wants to share it with us. Think about that. I mean, just think of the, you know, if the richest person materially in the world got in touch with you and said, you know what, I'm just looking for someone to share this with. You know, I, I've, got, I've got too much money. I, I'll never be able to spend this and I, I'm just looking for some people that I can bring in and, and make uh, fellow heirs with me of my, of my wealth, of my you know, empire, or whatever it is. You, would, you wouldn't believe it you think, no, that 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 wouldn't even be possible. Who would do that? Well, it probably is highly unlikely that anybody on earth would do that. But (laughs) Jesus, that's exactly. It's like, I, I want them to share in it with me. So we're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. But then included in that is that we are going to reign with him. Our destiny is to reign with him. You know, think about history. Think about the the monarchies that have existed throughout history. And and many nations have lived under kings and queens, you know, the monarchical system. And history, for the most part, uh, is filled with oppressive rulers. Occasionally, you get a good king or queen here once in a while. But we all have uh, kind of the understanding of what it means to reign what it means to be in that, that kind of a position. And even though today most monarchies in the world are, they're not functional in, in the sense that they're actually ruling the nation. They're more ornamental at this point. They used to be the ones who actually did rule, but now they've been replaced by parliamentary systems or something like that, but they're still there. And my point is, you know, we get it. When you think of royalty, you realize that that is privileged. Jesus says, we're going to reign with him. We are going to be the royalty in the new kingdom that he's establishing. His sons, his daughters are going to be the ones to reign with him. Listen to what it says in Revelation. And I saw the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Our salvation is great because our destiny is great. Where are we going? We're going to reign with Christ over the earth. We, we are the heirs. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the first few words that he said, He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He's going to give the earth to his followers. The earth is his and everything in it. He's going to give it to us. And we will reign with him forever and ever. All of this is part of our salvation. But here's the question. Do we realize it? I mean, do we stop and ponder this? Do we take the time? Or are we just so busy with life and everything else? And I have to confess that sometimes I am. I'm so busy with all of these other things. And, and you know, I'm a pastor, so my life is usually consists of doing things that are related to Christ and the ministry. But that doesn't exempt me from the need to stop and really contemplate these things. But sometimes I don't. I, I'm too busy. You know, sometimes our attitude is, like, oh, yeah, I'm saved. Uh, are you saved? Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, been saved a few years. You know, if, if that's our attitude, we have either lost it or maybe we never grasped the wonder of our salvation. Our salvation should always be an amazing thing to us. We should always respond with, yes, I'm saved. Oh, man, I can't believe I'm saved. I'm so thankful that I'm saved. And so if I lack that wonder if I lack that 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 excitement and that praise at the just even at the very thought of my salvation what does it say about me it says i don't realize how great a salvation i have i don't realize that it's greater than great and if i'm neglecting my salvation because all of these other things seem more important then i don't know what the greatest thing ever really is because none of those things are the greatest thing ever. The greatest thing ever is this. This is it. We have it. We have the greatest thing ever. And since we have the greatest thing ever, how is it that we could get so wrapped up and so preoccupied with with these other lesser things? the greatness of our salvation. There's one more point, as I mentioned, and this is the final one. Our salvation is great because the cost was great. You know, we think of salvation as the free gift of God, and rightfully so. It is the free gift of God. But listen, it cost somebody something. And who was that somebody? It cost Jesus Christ his life. It cost him his life to save you and to save me. That's the great cost. The great cost is the blood, the precious blood of Christ. Like Peter says, we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. Oh, we put such a priority on silver and gold, especially gold. But those are corruptible things. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Precious. You know, something is determined precious. gold is a precious metal, right? Why, why is something deemed precious? It's deemed precious because it's rare. You can't just go out and find gold nuggets lying around in a field somewhere. Well, the blood of Christ is precious. It's rare. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it in all of the, of the universe and beyond. It is the most precious thing, and that 's what we were redeemed with. The cost was great and like I was saying, and believe me i 'm preaching to myself here, you know we need to stop and think about these things it 's easy to to get this stuff in our heads and to get a little bit of information about it, and then to sort of settle for that little bit of information but We need to keep thinking about these things. We need to keep going deeper in our understanding of these things. You know, Paul the Apostle said to the church in Rome, he said that he was anxious to come to them, and listen to this, he said he wanted to come and he wanted to preach the gospel to them. Now, that's a little bit perplexing because when you think usually of preaching the gospel to somebody, you usually think of preaching it to somebody who's yet unsaved because that's how people get saved, right? They hear the gospel, and then they, that's how they'll receive Christ. So a lot of times when we talk about preaching, we think of it in terms of unbelievers. But Paul is not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to the saints in Rome, and he says, I want to come to you, and I want to preach the gospel. What did he mean by that? This is what he meant. They knew the, the basic historical facts of the death of Jesus on the cross for our sin and of the prophetic scriptures and the promises and the resurrection they knew those facts but what Paul is saying is I want to come to you and I want to teach you I want to preach to you the full implication of all those facts You see there's there's a lot behind these facts yes Jesus died on a cross for our sin. Yes, he rose from the dead. But there's all kinds of details behind the scene that we need to understand. That's what the epistle to the Romans is. Paul says, I want to come to you and preach it. Until I get there, I'm going to write some of these things out. And that's what he does. But for ourselves, you know, it's good for us to have the gospel regularly preached to us. It's good for us to preach the gospel to ourselves. To go back and rehearse those things. I mean, and and think about it just in terms of these five points that we're looking at here today. To just stop and think about. Now, we're rushing through this because we're limited in our time, right? But, you know, think about each one of these points. The greatness of our Savior. The greatness of our deliverance. The greatness of our calling. The greatness of our destiny. The greatness of the cost. You could take every one of those, those points and you could spend a whole week just meditating on each individual point, couldn't you? You could take a whole year and meditate on each individual point because this stuff is unfathomable. But the reality is this, the more I get this into me, the more this becomes just where my mind goes, the more this becomes my obsession. You know, everybody's got an obsession. Have you noticed that? You know, people get obsessed about all kinds of things. And you know what they're obsessed about because that's the thing that they incessantly talk about. They're excited about something. They're talking about something. There's something that drives them. There's something that they're passionate about. There's something that they always want to talk about when you see them. Well, for us, that should be our salvation. That's where we should be at, that these things are at the forefront of our heart and mind. And as we meditate on them, As we go into God's word and as we take those passages and as we read through them, maybe as we take the 53rd chapter of Isaiah and we just go and meditate. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. You know, as you just think, think about that. Or maybe the 22nd Psalm, which is obviously a similar Psalm of, of the suffering of Jesus. But then you've got those passages in different places in Isaiah, like like the 11th chapter of Isaiah, or the 35th chapter of Isaiah, or the 66th chapter of Isaiah, where it's the picture of our destiny, the, the picture of the new kingdom that we're going to be ruling and reigning in. And all of the beauty of that. Or, you know, just focusing in on, on God's love. And we do that as we as we take the time to engage in the scriptures or we get good, you know, reading material, good books and things where, where people have been able to take these truths and because God's gifted them, you know, maybe with like a great imagination, they can take these, these truths and they can put them in different forms that help us to appreciate even more sometimes what it is that we're being told. You know, I I was quoting from C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia with the passage here in uh, Hebrews two fourteen. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he he likewise partook of the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Remember that. And I shared the part from uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where where Aslan explains the deeper magic, where you know he dies for the innocent victim because he has committed no treachery and all that, and you know, here's Lewis, who's brilliant, who has this amazing imagination, who's able to create this fictional character out of his understanding of Christ, and then put it in a way that a little child could read it and go, Wow, Aslan is amazing. But then realizing that Aslan is Jesus. So it's these kinds of things that we need to give ourselves to. And this brings us to the final point. Because our salvation is so great, we have a great responsibility. And that's what the author reminded us of there. Remember, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. We, We don't want to drift away from these things. Because in drifting away from them, and in losing the wonder of them, we lose everything else. Once we lose the wonder of this, once my salvation becomes just sort of mundane, kind of old hat, yeah, yeah, I've been saved for 25 years, and you know, you might have had an experience way back when, but now it's just kind of, it's just a routine. You do the thing, you go to church, you even maybe have a devotion. You read a few verses in your Bible, every day, but it, but it no longer does what it used to do. What's happened. There's a drifting that's taken place. And how do we get back? We need to remember our salvation is the greatest thing that there is. There's nothing greater. There's nothing to be compared to it. And since it's going to go on into eternity, we need to invest everything we have now for then. I mean, isn't that what investing is about, right? When somebody talks about investing, you're you're doing something right now that is going to pay off in the future. So what is our future? Well, we have a future with God in eternity. What are we to do right now? We're to invest in that. What do we often do now? We're investing in the wrong things. We're taken up with all of the things of the world that... Have maybe some temporary benefit, but they don't have the eternal value. And of course, we all have responsibilities and things. I'm not suggesting that we neglect those kinds of things, but it's the other things. When we do have the free time or we could make the time, what do I do then? What am I investing in then? Am I investing in spiritual things? Am I going deeper in my understanding of the greatness of this salvation? Am I preparing my life for the things that God has ahead, not just ahead in this world, but ahead in eternity? So great a salvation means it's a great responsibility as well. And so we need to give the more earnest heed, and that's what I want to encourage you to do today, but remember this: just, just know this. I've said it many times already, but just know this: this is the greatest thing ever. Nothing, but nothing compares with it. Nothing, not even a close second. There's nothing that compares to it. Everything that that humanity longs for, everything that people hope for, all you know, like like that, like that uh, Christmas hymn said: "Oh, little town of Bethlehem." Remember what it said about what was happening there that night, the birth of Jesus? The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. That's it. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is our great salvation. And the more we give ourselves to him and this salvation, this is what life is about. And then all of the other aspects of life naturally work themselves out together because God wants us to be blessed. He wants us to have good relationships. He wants us to have blessed families. He wants our children to follow him and be blessed. He wants us to be taken care of. He wants all of those things for us. He promises to bless those who seek him. And this is what it comes down to, the realization of how great a salvation we have. If I know how great it is, I won't neglect it. If I neglect it, I've lost sight of that. God help us. If we've lost sight, to get it back. If we never had it, Lord, give it to me today.
0: month of January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and lowly, The heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers by Dane Ortland. The world, the flesh and the devil are constantly at war against us Christians, and sometimes we feel defeated, and at others we give in to the pressures of sin and compromise. But in those times, we should not expect harshness from heaven. We can expect the gentleness of Christ to draw us in all the more, because it is God who sets the terms by which he loves us, no matter how unlovable we think we might be. So no matter what your sin or how long you've been sinning, Jesus will never cast you out. If you need to be encouraged about Jesus' unfailing love for you, or if you know someone that needs to know Jesus' love for them, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you, at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews.